Church, let me tell you, God loves you. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And you are important to him whether you feel like it or not. Whether you think that's right or not, God loves you. Amen? Well, I want to share a word with you, so get your Bibles out. And go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. You know it, but I'm going to preach it to you tonight anyway. Encourage you. Philippians 1 and 6 says this, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. When you got saved, when you made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, God began a work in you. Listen, he began a work in you. You may have began to think you did a work on yourself, but God began to do a good work in you. Now Jude 24 says that at the end of everything, God, Jesus, is going to present you to the Father, and he's going to do it with exceeding joy. You know why? Because the work Jesus starts, he gets done. Did you hear what I said? The work he starts, he's going to get done, and he's presenting you with joy to the Father. You may be looking at your own life saying, I don't know how God, you know, God's not doing anything with me. Oh, but you don't understand the things that are going on. And I'm going to show you tonight something about about yielding to the will of God so that he can get the work done in you, okay? But so many times we're trying to do the work ourselves. Hello? We look in the mirror. We try to make our bodies look like we think that it should look. We, we think our minds should look like they or think like they should think. You know, we, we all the time are grooming ourselves. We're combing our hair. We're doing this. We're wearing these clothes. We're doing all this stuff. We're trying to groom ourselves. We're trying to act a certain way. We're trying to smile. How many times have you been to a place where you didn't feel like smiling, but you said smile? That's what, you know, you should be doing. Hey? And so we're always trying to do the work, but, but you've got to understand, you've got you to submit yourself into the will of God and let him do the work. Because he started a work in you, and he's going to finish it. And if you'll get out of the way, he'll make it all the way to the end with you, then get you right before the Father, and he's going to be happy to present you to the Father. He's not just going to look and say, ah, here's Robert. Right? Okay, so now I want you to go into the Old Testament. I'm going to show you this out of the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32. Jeremiah 32. Now, this is a crazy time in Israel. I'm going to start verse 6. I don't want to do a little reading tonight, but I just got to set the stage here before I read this. So, Israel had broken God's covenants and promises. They had sinned. God had actually used Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, and his army to come over, and they were going to destroy Jerusalem because of the sins of what they had done. And so Jeremiah has been been prophesying that this was going to happen. The other prophets are saying, no way, this is not going to happen. And Jeremiah has done nothing but get in trouble, okay, for doing what God said. Hello? So you would think that because Jeremiah is doing what God said, everything would be perfect with him. But the more he prophesies the true word of God, the more trouble he gets into. Hello? And so, at this point of of Jeremiah chapter 32, they've already come, they've already built uh, the sieges all around Jerusalem. I mean, 
it, they're going to fall. It's just days before they're, the, the, the Babylonians are coming in, the, the Chaldeans are coming in, they're going to take in there, they're going to come in there, they're going to they're they're pillage the place, all right? It's, it's imminent. And so, verse 6 says this, And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Solom, your uncle will come to you, saying, Buy my field, which is in Anthroth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. Now, what? In the middle of the army about to take the city, about the time they're all going to be pillaged and plundered, God comes to Jeremiah, speaks to him, says, Oh, by the way, your cousin's coming, and he's going to sell you his field, and I want you to buy it. Who's thinking about buying a field when you're getting ready to be overrun by an army? Right? And so this is what I'm trying to say to you tonight. Sometimes you're over here and you're freaking out and you're thinking this is what's got to happen. God, you've got to be doing this. You've got to be doing this. Oh, man, we've got to be going over here. We've got to be going over here. When God said, oh, I want you to buy a field for me. Your cousin's coming. He's going to sell it to you. It's a good price. Look what he says here. So he said to Hamel, my uncle's son came to me in the court of the prison. So he's in prison at this time for preaching, for prophesying, according to the word of the Lord. And he said to me, please buy my field that is in Anathroth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours and the redemption yours. Buy it for, your, it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So he's questioning this, right? He's waking up that morning and he's saying, God, I just want a word from you. Oh, man, I want a word from you. God, I need a word today. Your cousin's going to come, and he was going to sell you his field cheap. Buy it. I mean, he's in prison, folks. The, the, the army's outside the gate. Everybody hates him. And God gives him a word like that. That just lets you show that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, nor are God's ways our ways. That God's got a whole other plan, a whole other thing that's going on over here that we're not seeing. And that's where we get ourselves in trouble. We get ourselves in trouble because we're only seeing what we think God should be doing. And God's got a plan. Why? Because he's working a good work in you. And he's going to get it all worked out. And he knows you need to buy a field. So he said, so I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle, who was in Anthro, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. Now, I looked this up, 17 shekels of silver. When David bought the threshing floor, uh, he paid 50 shekels for just a threshing floor. Abraham paid like $500 a shekel for, a shekel for uh, the burial place that he, he buried his wife in. And so this is cheap. It was a deal. And I tried to put this all like how much is a shekel on how much would it be in today's money and all that kind of stuff like this. But, you know, the best I could come to understand is that, like it's under $20. Now, we don't know how big the field was. Right. It may have been a bean patch right in the back of the yard or it could have been, you know, 100 acres. I don't know. But anyway, it was cheap. Well, so this is this. Look at this other dynamic going on. The cousin. Why is he selling the field? More than likely because he's assessing himself. 
The army's coming. They're going to kill us. I better get some money in my pocket because things are looking bad. And who cares about the field? It's going to be lucky if I live through the day and not be killed, but I need some cash because I may have to be trying to buy my way out or something, right? So he's over here, as, as, as Ephesians 2 tells us, there's a course of the world and the world's way of thinking. There's a way of God's way of thinking, right? And so he's just over here in the world's way of thinking, man, that field ain't going to do me no good. I got to dump it. Goofy Jeremiah, he's the one that's supposed to be in the inheritance sermon. He's already in prison. He ain't got anything. Now, look at this. Where did Jeremiah have the money? So the preacher must have been making something because he had the money, right? So it says he took the purchase deed that both which was sealed according to the law of custom, that which was open, and he gave the purchase deed to Barak, the son of Nera, the son of Mabubu, and in the presence of Hanamel, the uncle's son, in the presence of all the witnesses to sign the purchase. Look, he didn't just go. I mean, he went plumb to the title company, did the escrow, did the whole research, did the whole thing on it. He didn't just say, here, here, I'll just write you O-U. They worked the whole thing out. He says, and then he charges O, O, broke before them, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the host, the God of Israel, take these deeds, both the purchase deed, which is sealed, and this deed, which is open, put them in the earth in vessels, that it may uh, last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the houses of the field, the vineyard shall be possessed again in this land. Now when I had delivered the purchase deeds to Barak, the son of Nerah, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth. And by your great power and your outstretched arm, there is nothing that's too hard for you. So Jeremiah starts getting into this now when he's, when he's, when he's seeing what's going on. And he, he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. God's not showing me doing this for me for my now. He's doing this to the future to show Israel that they're coming back and that their land is still going to be here and that when they return in 70 years, God's blessing is still here upon them. So God's got this prophetic revelation. He's trying to work through Jeremiah. But at the beginning, Jeremiah doesn't understand anything that's going on. He's just being obedient to the voice of the Lord speaking to him, right? And it doesn't make sense to him. A lot of times in life when we're trying to walk with the Lord, we may be doing things that he's leading us into that doesn't make sense. But it does to the Lord. Why? Because he's completing the work in us. The Bible says God will order our steps and prepare a way and make all the crooked paths straight. But he does that when we're going into the will of God and when we submitted ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Keep, you're doing the good work. I'm confident, Lord. I'm confident in you. That the work you started in me, you're going to get there. And it may not make sense. Now, I don't know. Listen, I, I'm really painting the big brush here. I don't know. Maybe when 70 years when they came back, Jeremiah, he wouldn't have been alive. But maybe, maybe that parcel of land that maybe he had deeded to his, his ancestors, his kids, or his, his whatever, you know. Maybe that ended up where they wanted to put a strip mall that was worth, you know, they sold it by the square inch. I don't know. Right? I mean, that would be God to do something like that. So he goes on, he says, there's nothing that's too hard for you. You show loving kindness to thousands and repay the iniquities of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, you are great in counsel and mighty in work. 
For your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. You have set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt to this day in Israel and among other men. You have made yourself a name as it is to this day. You have brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, and with great terror. You have given them this land of which you swore to their fathers to give to them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and they took it and possessed it. But they have not obeyed your voice or walked in your law. They have done nothing of all that you have commanded them to do. Therefore, you have counseled all this calamity. You have caused all this calamity to come upon them. Look, the siege mounds. They have come into the city and they've to take it. And the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans and fight against it because of the sword and because of the famine and because of the pestilence. Now, listen here. Aren't you glad that you're under the blood of Jesus and you're not living by works? This all happened to, the, to, to Israel because they had sinned and broken the law. But we're not under the law. Praise God for Galatians 3.13, right? You've been redeemed from the curse of the law. The law is not under you. You're under the blood. So if you're under the blood, then that means every, every sidestep you took, every miscalculation you took, every misstep you took, you're still under the blood. And God is still working in you and perfecting in you what he wants to see in his will to complete the work in you. It can't be stopped. No matter how stupid you are. Now, hear what I'm saying. The work in you can't be stopped by how stupid you are. You say, well, I don't agree, Pastor. You know, if I, if I go off and over here and do this, you know, well, I'm going to mess up the whole plan of God. Well, are you or is God going to take that and he's going to turn, twist that whole thing around and while you're over there, he's going to move you on up because you got over there where you shouldn't have been, but then you, God's going to use that to bless, you know? God's God. He said he's the God of all flesh and ain't nothing too hard for him. So many times the devil lies to us and listen to me, somebody out there watching or somebody in here tonight, this is for you. You've listened, to, you've listened to the lie of the devil, and the devil has told you you've messed up, and you can't do anything for God. You can't go forward with God. You're, you, you've messed up too much. And I'm telling you, the blood of Jesus is more powerful than the lie of the enemy. And whatever stupid thing you did do, I guarantee the blood of Jesus, is, it's redeemable. And I guarantee if you turn to God and you cry out to him, you'd see yourself get back on the path of God, and you'd get walking down where you're supposed to be, and God's going to complete that work in you. But you've got to turn your heart towards him and say, Come on, Lord, let's do it. Okay, so now look at 32.26. It says, And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord. The God of all flesh, there's anything too hard. Is there any, is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything too hard for me? The only thing that hinders us from seeing God moving is our faith. The only thing that's going to hinder us from God moving is we're not listening to the Holy Ghost. We're not listening to the voice of God. We're not having any faith that the God of all flesh, the God that created the heavens and the earth and all therein. Is there anything that's too hard for him? My, 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 my. How doubtful we get. How we let the enemy tell us that things aren't going to work. How we get to where we're in life when we just think that nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to be able to. God's not going to be able to do this. We let the lie of the devil come into our heads and say we can't make it. We're not going to do it. Oh, my gosh. How are we going to get there? And God says, man, I'm the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? 
Is there anything too hard for me? He challenges us. He says, is there anything too hard for me? There's things that are too hard for us. Right? But there's not anything that's too hard for God. So look over at verse 44. I mean, it's still in Jeremiah 32, but verse 44. It says, men will buy fields for money, sign deeds and seal them and take witnesses in the land of Benjamin, in the places around Jerusalem, in the cities of Judea, in the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the lowlands, in the cities of the south, for I will cause their captivity to return, says the Lord. You see, God said, you're coming back. So look at God. He's looking 70 years ahead because they were in captivity for 70 years. I think I told you that Sunday. When Ezra... When Ezra was getting ready to come back, all he had to do was look. Isaiah had already prophesied in Isaiah 45 that the king's name was going to be Cyrus. They knew it was 70 years. They knew when they left. All they had to do was count it up and knew that they were entering into the time of returning back into the land of Israel. And all they had to do was God was going to make everything work out. They just had to walk in it. It was already prophesied, laid out. But 70 years back, God is trying to get Jeremiah and everyone to look forward See, folks, right now, <clears throat> the enemy wants to draw you in in this time through fear and, and everything going on in the world, and he wants to draw your focus in real small. And when he draws your focus in real small, all you're seeing is the, the little object in front of you. You're not seeing what the big picture is, what the future is, what God has for you. Go to 2 Timothy 1.12. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy 1 and 12. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed unto him until that day. So I ask you, what have you committed to him? Did you really commit your life to the Lord? If you committed your life to the Lord, you really committed your life. When you got saved, you really committed your life and said, Jesus, I'm yours. Then what you've committed to him, he's able to make sure it gets there because you've committed it to him. Because he's faithful. <clears throat> Once in a while, I like to watch those shows where where they do total restorations on vehicles, and they bring in this old junky vehicle, you know, like they get it out of an Arizona junkyard or something. This baby's rusted. It just looks terrible. It just and, and, you know, it takes vision to be able to see what it would look like restored. But these guys bring it in. They do all the work to it, and they go all to this thing, and then it comes out, and it's beautiful, right? Well, that's how we are. Sometimes we've got some dents. We've got some bumps. We've got some rusted spots. We've got some 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 undercarriage damage. We may have a bent frame. We may have a whatever. Hello? But nothing's too hard for God. He's the God of all flesh. There ain't nothing too hard for him, right? It's no big deal for him to straighten it out. And sometimes I'm looking at those restorations and I'm like, man, I would, there is no way I would even think any person could get the job done. It just looks like, man, that baby's toast. And then this comes out, it's beautiful, it's all running and everything's perfect. And people that got it freaking out. 
right? That's what God's doing with you and in your life. He's got you, and you started out rough and with all the dents and all the stuff, and he's slowly working. He's working all that in. He's getting in, this, getting in parts from over here and finding a part from over there and bringing this thing in and getting it all done so that when you come out of the showroom and he presents you to the Father, man, you're looking, I mean, you're looking good. You polished up fine, right? So let me show you another scripture. Hebrews 13, 20. Hebrews 13, 20. It says, now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of an everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will. Working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He said the good shepherd's working on you. The good shepherd and through the everlasting blood covenant that he has with you. That he's going to complete it. Your promise and your faith in what you stand in tonight is simply this, knowing that Jesus, if he's doing it and your covenant is with him, he will get the work done. And you may be standing there saying, Lord, there ain't no way. You ain't going to get this dent out. You're not going to be able to. I don't see how you're going to straighten this frame, Lord. I don't know how you're going to get this thing working right, but he's the good shepherd. He's the one that can do that because he's the God of all flesh and ain't nothing too hard for him. It looks like it's a huge project for you, but it's not in his eyes. What you got to do is rest in faith in him and say, Lord, I, I, I don't know what, how you're going to pull it off, but I just declare you're going to pull it off because I trust in you. I trust you're the greatest restore there's ever been and you're going to restore in me everything that needs to be God I don't care if you got to you know make a new liver or make a new heart valve or or you got to do whatever God you're doing the restoration in me you're making everything work out right Lord you're you're the one doing the work and so yeah we got some dents we got some bumps we got some things I'm embarrassed about I shouldn't have done I shouldn't have said I shouldn't have done this or done that but God says no 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 just let me have it just let me restore it now, imagine, you know, most of those times, at least the ones I've seen, most of those guys that are doing those car restorations, they're pretty rough characters, you know? And I don't think they would really appreciate, even though it was the owner, going in there and telling them how they ought to do it. Right? Have you ever noticed in those shows, the owner's not standing there every day working with the guys. He's not standing around there saying, oh, come on, y'all. I think y'all need to do a little something over here. I don't think that line's quite right. They're not standing there. They get to be at the end of it when they bring the thing out. But they're not standing there working on that thing. Why are we doing it then? Why are we standing around telling the Lord how he's got to work everything out? Why are we trying to say, well, you got to fix this mistake? You got to take this, you got to do this. No, Lord, I don't think you ought to do it that way. I think you need to do it this way. Why are we over there questioning that? Why shouldn't we just rest in Jesus and say, Lord, you're the good shepherd, you're the master? I'm not going to worry about it. Lord, you're going to get it done. You're going to bring it all to pass. It's going to be good. At the end of it, I'm going to love it. 
Hello? And let's don't, let's don't be the kind of people that just take our rusty pile over to the side and just uh, say, well, we'll just plant bushes around it. Right? Sometimes we want to do that. We just want to plant some bushes around it. Don't look at it anymore. But God said, no, no, no. I can make something great out of this. Give me your life and I will make something great out of it. Our job is to do the committing, the surrendering to the Lord. That old song, all to Jesus, I surrendered. Amen. All to him, I freely give. That's how we have to be in life. And when you do that, I'm just going to assure you tonight, then you can say with the Apostle Paul, I'm not ashamed. I know he's going to get it all worked out. Others may not see it right now, but it's okay. God's going to work it out. Amen? So look at the person beside you and say, you know, God's going to get it all worked out. Amen? So be glad you didn't have the ministry of Jeremiah. Although I think the ministry of Ezekiel would be worse, but, uh, but he, he, you know, if you're getting crazy, if you think God's going off the rail and he's not doing what you think, just leave him alone. Maybe time to buy, be buying a field for God's got a reason. Amen? Amen. So stand up. Now, there was probably somebody out there watching that was uh, thinking about buying a field. <clears throat> and they're going to take this. Don't listen. Don't. No, 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 no. I'm just preaching tonight. You need to hear God on that, right? <clears throat> Don't run off and say, I heard the preacher say, buy a field. But what the preacher is saying tonight is commit your life to Jesus. Trust in him and let him do it. Let him bring it to pass. You know, if you're watching, you come across this broadcast, you just want to stop and see who this preacher was. Listen to me. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you so much. And if you don't know him, and you've never committed your life to him, well, tonight's a good night to just cry out upon the Lord and say, Jesus, come into my life. I am a mess. I need a total restoration job. I trust you're the good shepherd. I give you my life, and I thank you for your blood covering my sins and washing me. And he'll touch you right where you are. He'll come into your life right there. If you've given up on, on the work that Jesus has started in you, if you don't think things have been worked right, out right or God's left you or forsaken you, look, tonight just repent for doubting him. Just repent. Just stop and say, God, I'm sorry I, for, I gave up. I'm sorry that I, I, I didn't think you were going to do it. And right there, he'll, he'll bring restoration in your life. And he'll begin to touch you and minister to you. So, Father, I pray for everyone out there right now. I just declare, Lord God, that they are blessed people. And they hear this word tonight, and they hear your loving voice speaking to them that you are the God of all flesh, and nothing is too hard for you. Things that people have given up on, Lord, I just declare tonight that, Lord, that, that you're, the light of the gospel is going to come into it, and there's going to be a refreshing in their life. Lord, I ask you tonight to bless the people. Bless them more than they could ever imagine. As they listen to the words, Lord God, of your word going forth, Lord, that it will touch their hearts and it will bring them to this glorious place, Lord, a glorious place of restoration with you. And so, Lord, I ask you just to bless them. Bless all the ones that are the givers. Bless all of those that, that love this ministry and love what's going on around the world. Bless them, Lord God. And, Lord, I just thank you for bringing us back together again. In a, in a glorious, glorious, glorious another day, Lord. And we give you praise for it. 
In Jesus' mighty name.